The Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association presents Top of the Stretch, a podcast that looks at harness racing in the Buckeye State. Welcome to another edition of Top of the Stretch. With us today on Top of the Stretch, the gentleman, the backbone of Midland Acres in Bloomingburg, Ohio, a breeding farm, one of the top breeding locations in the state of Ohio. And with us today, John Moss Barker. John, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you, Roger. Thank you for having us. Okay. Well, it's coming up on a big breeding season. It begins in 2021. But let's go back to the way at the early days. Just how did Midland Acres develop in the state of Ohio? Well, Roger, um, Midland Acres started... um, Back in the late 60s, uh, my father came, was a large animal veterinarian. <clears throat> he came into Bloomingburg, Ohio in 1945 and started a single man practice. Uh, he sat by the phone waiting for the phone to ring the first couple of years. But as uh, his food animal practice grew in the 50s and the 60s, uh, something and his practice really changed in the middle 60s. That was, he treated a lot of hog collar, a lot of hogs for hog collar. All farmers were diversified. At that time, all the grain walked off the farm. What I mean by that, all farmers had livestock. And at that time, there was a disease called hog collar, and there was a vaccine. And all hogs had to be vaccinated. Well, this is the majority of his practice, at that economically. Um, <clears throat> that was eradicated, <clears throat> and he started to see this coming in the middle '60s. And you know, Ohio has always been the heartbeat of harness racing, with all the county fairs, and <clears throat> a lot of farmers had broodmares in. Uh, on their farms, he had a couple close friends come to him, and they wanted to breed some mares to some racehorses that they had, Dr. Herbert, Neil Helfridge, Ray French. So Dad, being a food animal practitioner, had to put on his equine hat, and <clears throat> which took a lot of courage. He was 49 years old at the time. So it took a lot of courage to change from a single veterinary practice to start a breeding farm, not knowing a lot about harness racing. But one of the good fortunes that came along uh, was Dr. Robert Schwartz uh, that grew up in Lebanon, Ohio. And his father uh, worked at the Lebanon Raceway. Bob worked at the Lebanon Raceway growing up. And... Bob became an equine practitioner, graduated from Ohio State, and to make a long story short, he came into practice with Dad in 1971. Uh, the Midland Acres bred their first mares in 1967, um, bred only a few mares, but uh, as we dipped our toes in the water a little bit further and got a little more braver, uh, we went out and Dr. Schwartz came on. I came available. Uh, I graduated in 1976 from vet school. Um, knowing that I was coming back to the farm, 
uh, I think gave Dad the incentive to 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 start the farm, and so never be uh, business uh, for all of us. And then my brother came on board. Uh, Jay Mossbarger came on board in 1981, 1982, uh, after he graduated from Capital. So it's certainly been a family operation, um, something that uh, we've all enjoyed. And I, I, I'd have to say we're very, very blessed, Roger, and I just want to thank all the people uh, that have bred at Memphis Makers and wonderful, the wonderful owners that we have in the state of Ohio and uh, all the great owners, trainers, and drivers, uh, we wouldn't be here today. So Midland Acres is very blessed to have have the ability to uh, live in Ohio and, and start a breeding farm. Now, has the size of the farm increased over the years, or was it this big way back in the in the 50s and 60s? No. Uh, back in the uh, 60s, we had a, a 75 acres, Roger, and I'm looking at the first uh, at the only barn that we had right now. Uh, it was just a big old, uh, more or less dairy barn. Uh, we converted five horse stalls in there, and we sold the beef herd. Um, we had a Hereford beef herd. We sold it uh, in the middle '60s, and uh, at that time, it was 75 acres uh, that when we started, and there wasn't a barn, there wasn't fence. So we had to jump in and build a barn, and, and uh, as years went on, we added a barn. And I think the last barn we built, though, was in, like, 1985. So we have 200 stalls and about seven barns, and we went from 75 acres. Now we're, we're up to 600 acres. Um, and ironically, wow. Roger, <laughs> and, and, you know, <clears throat> that was all done. We all lived on low salary. We everything we did, we put back into the farm. I'll put it that yeah. way. Uh, has any hard member and, uh, of the has any member of the family uh, branched off and did something else totally different from the breeding operation? Well, Dad had two sons, me and Jay, and then uh, he had three daughters, and of course they went. Uh, Actually, my, my sister now lives in mom and dad's house uh, that he moved into in 1945. But they, they don't have anything to do with the farm. So it's just Jay and I and then Jay's son, Jake, came to the farm here about 10 years ago. So it's a blessing to have him. So right now it looks like it's a three-generation operation right now. A lot more goes on than just breeding of the horses during the breeding season, though, isn't it? It's 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 got to be a year-round operation for you. Oh yes, it's it's like running a dairy farm. It's a seven days a week uh, uh, job here. Uh, you know, we house about 200 mares. Uh, we have about 110, 120 yearlings, uh, and so they have to be maintained daily and looked after. And we have we have about 10 full-time employees, uh, two secretaries, uh, and there's Dr. Schwartz, myself. We run a, uh, we also run a large animal practice. Um, I do all the breeding, so I'm, I'm tied up with the breeding 
mainly from February to to July. And then we get ready for the sales. And then in the fall, we do all of our wean, weaning and break the wean leaves to lead. And it gives us a little time to get forward to the next breeding season. So it, you always think there's a slow time, but really there's, uh, when you're running a livestock farm, it's, it's seven days a week. Now, you mentioned the breeding season. What determines the first uh, part of the year that you will breed mares, and what determines when you cut off breeding mares? Uh, well, we usually start here about February 15th, and the reason we start then is uh, a mare's gestation is 11 months. So if you start in the earlier, uh, you'll get foals born before the uh, previous year, and then that foal would be a year. It would be born in the wrong year, and it'd be a yearling mm-hmm. when he was like one day old. So that won't work. So we start around February 15th. Uh, we put our mares under lights starting December 1st. That's our barren mares, mares that are not carrying a fold. And the reason we put them under the lights is mares are seasonal breeders. And if you did not put them under lights, they only cycle in long daylight hours. So from winter to spring transition, as the daylight hours get longer, the mares will start to come in heat. If you don't put them under lights, they won't come in heat till April or May. By putting them under lights, you can start breeding them in February, which is very is there, a, is there a certain time of the year that horsemen want their foals to be born? Uh, well, I think, a month? you know, it's, we are all greedy by nature, and we all don't want to, we all want to raise two-year-olds. So it's certainly advantageous to have foals born as early as possible if you want to raise them as two-year-olds. So if a foal is born in February of, let's say, February 2020, then he'll be a yearling in February 2021 and then race in 2022. So he would be born by being born in February compared to June, He's four or five months older, and it's like a high school kid. Uh, sometimes these older two-year-olds uh, mature better than uh, the folds in May and June. But they catch those folds will catch up as three-year-olds. But as two-year-olds, by nature, people want to want a full born in February or March rather than. June and July. Now, I was just that thinking makes... about some mares have trouble getting in full. Is it three strikes and you're out for the mare to get in full? Well, not necessarily, but it, think about this. When a mare has a gestation period of 11 months and 10 days, if she's bred in May, or at the end of May, she she may not fall until May 1st of the next year or end of April. So the biggest cause of infertility is time because you run out of it. We stop breeding 
we usually stop breeding our mares by June 15th mm-hmm. because we don't want to sell foals born in June. They're, mm-hmm. they're not that marketable or commercial at the sales. See, actually, you'd want your barren mares to come into their period at the earlier part of the year. So you'd yes, have we do, and that's why we time to get them in full. That's why we put them under lights. You have a number of stallions at Midland Acres, and I noticed uh, on the trot side you only have one, and that's Long Tom. Yes, we only have one trotter right now. Not <clears throat> that doesn't mean we w- don't want more, but we want the right ones. And it's difficult to pick up a trot in this day. But in saying it, we're very, very happy with our long toms. When he came here, we we had the opportunity to uh, syndicate him, and we have a pretty good syndication that helps support the horse. And he's bred a, a good full, a good book of mares for three years in a row. So uh, mm-hmm. we're very happy with uh, the way they look. I thought they sold quite well for a $3,000 stud fee. We were, uh, people accepted them very well in the ring. And his family's just getting better and better. Um, his dam has had four folds. One's tight lines that made 600000 One's long tom. And another is a two-year-old brother this year, I'm Range, that was second in the Breeders' Crown and uh, um, raced very well. And one of the one of the he's a bar hobby. He's one of the top two-year-olds in the country this year. And uh, this year at the sale, uh, his half brother sold for four hundred thousand. So his pedigree uh, is getting better each day, and that that gives us confidence. Now on the pacing side. Uh, you've got uh, one of the newest stallions in the Buckeye State, uh, Fear of the Dragon. Yes. Um, when Fear of the Dragon came here, uh, it was pretty unique for the state of Ohio that year. Uh, for what horses came in, we had Fear of the Dragon came in. You had Down by the Seaside came in. They had What the Hill. And those were three of the top horses that came off the track that year. Uh, to come to stay in Ohio, and uh, we we were blessed to be able to get Fear of the Dragon and, and work with Bruce Trog in the Emerald Highlands, and he's he's bred full books of mares the first three years, and we thought that his yearlings were he had multiple hundred thousand dollar yearlings sold this year at the sales, so it will be very interesting this summer uh, going to the races to watch. Uh, Fear of the Dragons, Down by the Seasides, and What the Hills, and the Long Toms, to uh, see who comes out on top. Now, the one that's kind of been the backbone of your operation for the last few years is Pet Rock, and he still continues to be top of the list, uh, one of the top in the state of Ohio. Yes. Uh, Pet Rock has been very consistent for us. He, uh, he's been a leading pacing sire for two- and three-year-olds in in Ohio, uh, I think, ever since he's stood. Um, he, uh, we were able to breed a lot of mares to him, and uh, 
He had a really good year this year for his three-year-old. Two-year-olds are a little light this year, but uh, uh, I think uh, with the combination of the two- and three-year-olds, he still leads Ohio in uh, money earnings. So, uh, Bit of a legend in. Very, very interesting horse. Um, this horse, um, people didn't know this horse is a two- and three-year-old. But he won the Breeders' Crown in Australia as a two- and three-year-old. He made 800000 He raced as a four-year-old in Australia. Then he came to the United States, and he raced, uh, and he earned $1.8 million racing here until he's retired as, as stud. The historical fact about this horse He's the only living horse that won the George Morton Levy series and final in one year. Um, I forget what year that was, but he won all legs and the final. And mm. when you race in that, in that George Morton Levy, you're racing get the, against the best every week. So that, that's quite an accomplishment. And we, we brought him in. Now, we, we bought this horse ourselves. So we have control of the of the stud fees. We put him in, we thought, of a very good value at 2500 He's a son of Better's Delight, who's been one of the best sires ever. And we were uh, blessed that we bred over 100 mares to him last year. So wow. we're... We're really rooting for for him because we own him 100%. <laughs> the home team. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yankee Cruiser. The Penske family is a great family to work with. His first crop dominated Ohio, and he came out with a big bang with the highest sire stakes. But as you remember, back in those days, when Yankee Cruiser came here, things were good. But then the slop, the expanded gaming started to come around. It came to Pennsylvania. It came to West Virginia. It came to Indiana. And Ohio was sitting there in the middle of that, and we were losing our mares. And we lost Yankee Cruiser because of that. People were scared of what was going to happen in Ohio. And he ended up going to Hanover, and we we under, we understood uh, the situation. We we didn't have the control, but uh, uh, we were happy to uh, to get him back. He, he, he was a blessing for us at one time, and he's and he, it's a privilege to to have him back. But uh, he's getting a little older um, this year. We're, we're trying to limit his book to like 50 mares a year because of his fertility. We're requesting all the mares to be on farm breeding. We don't want to ship semen. Uh, we had a decent year last year with him getting mares in full as long as we keep the numbers uh, 50 and under. I see by the list of stallions, so we no longer have Big Bad John at Midland Acres. Right, and... You know, that, that story, it was wonderful to work with Mr. Ed Tell. Uh, 
a great guy for us to work with. Um, Big Bad John came in Ohio, and when everything else was down, but I forget the year he came. I think we were on the verge of getting slots. So he was the only game in town, really. So he had that advantage. And when we sold his first crop, um, they sold very well because competition, supply, demand um, was down. You know, the old economics 101, supply and demand there wasn't that. Uh, there was a good demand for horses at the time, and the supply was low. So, uh, Big Bad John sold very well the first year, and they raced good. But I think he got snake bit because they sold so well, Roger, that the the expectations were set so high for him that it was hard for him to meet that. It's not that they never raced well, but you know, when you, when you sell yearlings for 100000 150000 back in those days, um, the expectations were very high. I noticed, though, this year as well, doing all the county fairs that we did this year, there were sure a lot of big, bad John, those two- and three-year-olds winning at county fairs in the Buckeye State. Yes, that, and like I said, had a good year racing. The problem, if you look, people stopped breeding to him. So he's not going to have those numbers coming, mm-hmm. coming forward in the next two or three years, and that's, and with all the other horses that came in, to have the numbers, you know, this is a number game. This the horse business. Is- I want you to think back over the many years of Midland Acres. Is there any one event in the life of Midland Acres that stands out above all others? Well, there, there's a couple horse-related events, and there's one non-horse-related event. Uh, the non-horse-related event was probably in 1996 when we had the pleasure of of hosting um, Senator Dole, presidential candidate at the time, uh, here at the farm. Um, the whole tour, the the Dole campaign came to the farm, and there was probably 3,500 to 4,000 people that came uh, that day across the state. Um, and we still have pictures of that. So that was uh, Governor Bornovich was here and a couple senators. Uh, Ted Koppel, ABC News, was here, and we were on ABC News that night. So um, that that was the non-horse-related uh, event that I think stands in our mind. Plus, all the show days that we put on um, over the years. We we used to have what we call Millenaker Show Day, where we had we did that for probably 30 years uh, to showcase our yearlings. We had beef barbecue. We fed people. And we on on a really good show day, we have seven or eight hundred people here. Um, I think people look forward to it as a social event. Um, 
on bad day on low days the turnout might be three or four hundred a year depending on the weather uh but those were certainly things that my dad really enjoyed um having having people come to the farm it's like having them come to your house become friends and and that's where you, you build up trust and integrity and honesty with the people so I think that's what well, John, uh, John, I want to thank you ever so much for giving us some time out of your very busy day. And uh, we appreciate no problem. it and continued success at Midland Acres. And uh, hopefully uh, in 2020, we made it through this COVID thing. And uh, I, I truly believe there's only one way to go, and that's to go up. And let's look forward to a, a banner year in 2021. Well, let's hope so. And I don't—I know you might be running out of time, but I, I do want to think about the COVID situation. Last spring, we were sitting here thinking, are we going to have a horse sale? And as a result, the horse sales in Ohio were very, very good, and we couldn't be more blessed and, and just thank the people uh, for hanging, hanging in there and, and be able to uh, continue – buying yearlings uh, the way they did this year. It was really, we really feel blessed and thankful. So it was. And I think that that truly speaks for the racehorse industry in the state of Ohio and state of Ohio, number one, and uh, farms like yours and the others in the state deserve a lot of the credit uh, for the job that you're doing for harness racing in Ohio. Now we're, yeah, I think, uh, it's always been the heartbeat, so we just keep the heart beating, Roger. So. Thank you for listening to Top of the Stretch. Top of the Stretch podcasts are a presentation of the Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association. 